got it. All right, here we go. Whoever records next is going to smell like spinach and dirty blueberries because I dropped them all on the floor before you got here. So I had to rewash all my blueberries. Every blueberry fell on the floor. It's the worst. But I wasn't going to waste the whole thing of blueberries. You can't. Not with prices nowadays. No. They weren't good blueberries either. They were buy two, get them for $4, which blueberry, that's like, it's an investment. That's crypto. (laughs) It's crypto fruit right there. Grab me a beer and grab him a coat. We about to sit for an hour bullshit and tell jokes. And please don't mix it up, cause he done sobered up. Brandon T. Comedy on your social media feeds. And Brandon says, here, bitch, your eggs drinking, buddy. Brandon says, here, bitch, your eggs drinking, buddy. Brandon says, here, bitch, your eggs drinking, buddy. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Brennan Tassif is your ex-drinking buddy. I am your host, Brennan Tassif. If you are new to the show, I'll give you a quick rundown of the show. I used to be everyone's favorite drinking buddy. It was my favorite thing to do to hang out with friends, do drugs, get drunk, and reminisce about old stories and wreak havoc. So I am sober now, but that is still one of my favorite things to do, hang out with friends and reminisce. Usually I'd be joined by a guest. This week is no different. Joined by stand-up comedian, ultra-marathoner, just overall great guy, hilarious guy, Dan Lamort. Woo! Here we are. The crowd goes crazy. What's going on, man? And a garbage truck drives by right at the introduction. That's my career. Uh, (laughs) You really are. You are a drinking buddy because anytime I run into you at the stand and I'm like, I'm about to have a drink, you're always like, fuck yeah, you are. And I'm like, oh, this guy is sober, but. (laughs) It's one of my favorite things. Your mentality isn't sober. No, I. uh, It's one of my favorite things because I I do miss drinking the uh, the lifestyle of it, the aspects of like, you know, partying with friends, hanging out, staying out late. It's weird because when I go to the stand a lot of times now, I don't well, I won't go to the shows. I just kind of go to hang out and you never feel more like a tool when you go to a bar and order like a water and just sit like if everyone's in the showroom. Now they got that Heineken thing. Yeah, the Heineken Double Zero. I haven't tried mm-hmm. that yet. I see a lot of people who are sober really liking those because it looks like a Heineken or the Liquid Death cans. Cause the, I was like, going to say the Liquid Death. That's yeah. uh, John got me on that. Uh, friend of the show, bartender over at the stand. When I came yeah. in the other day, he goes, I got something for you. And I was like, what? Can- he handed yeah. me a can of Liquid Death. And I was like, isn't this just water? Sparkling like, or water? Just regular. Or, yeah, they, they have two. They got one time they sent me a bunch of cases and I guess I didn't promote it properly because I never got more cases. But <laughs> there was a there was like a two month period where liquid I was like working out with liquid death. Yeah. There was just, what's what people send me stuff. It gets used immediately. Yeah. Anytime someone's like, can I send you a shirt? Will you wear it? I'm like, I'll wear it probably twice a week for the next five months because that's how <laughs> few clothes I have. Oh, man. You uh, get sent a lot of stuff because you do the ultra the marathons, the ultra marathons. Ultramar, yeah, these crazy ass races were currently two weeks removed, probably from my last one. Yeah, it broke your feet. Kind of, yeah. They're looking like, well, so the first, the doctor x rayed the feet the first time, and then she's like, it's showing signs of stress fractures, but come back in next week. And I came back in the next week, and she's like, it looks pretty good, so go ahead and start running. Oh, again. shit. Okay, awesome. So then I ran three days last week, and each run got progressively worse for my body to where my feet just started killing me. So I'm going to take a few more days off. So, yeah, maybe a couple more days. Promote everything before we get too far into it. Promote all your stuff. You're- I have nothing to promote. I'm Dan Lamort. I'm a comedian in New York. Look me up. I got some albums out there. Social we, media. You do have rent money. Once a oh, month and a monthly show, rent money. Yes, at the stand in New York City. Me and my girlfriend Colleen Genevieve, also a comedian, produce it. December's one is her birthday show. 
Yeah, so we definitely want to get her on here for that. And it's yeah, a, she's I go, got some party stories. She used to work for a rave company. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, we got to get her on and talk about those. That's drug business right there, that, Drug Incorporated. Yeah, I've seen Bad Boys 2, man. I know how it works. I've never. Really? Is that the one with Will Smith? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no. <laughs> that franchise. Haven't seen that one. Yeah, not this, a big movie guy. You're not? No. In the second one, it's all about ecstasy. Yeah, really. I'm too indecisive. I watch like if Netflix had the stats on my like watching, it would be the that screen that pops up when you've been staring for too long. Yeah. And it's just like the moving images kind of. Yeah. I watch that a ton. <laughs> I can't make up my mind ever. And if I do, I'll end up on like a Scandinavian cop show. Yeah. I love a subtitle. I do know you're not a big fan of Forrest Gump, as you no. refer to in your. Uh... Uh, it's 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 got its points, you know. I haven't watched it in so long, and I have to go back. You just it's like a good movie. I just uh, I an love airplane that bit. movie. Yeah, I love that bit that you do about that. But I did um, that last night. That's not one I break out often. Not every time people love an age joke. Well, and it's also <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be the right time. You also have a couple bits where you've done them on stage, and people groan at like the weirdest moments, and you're like, that yeah. wasn't even. Yeah, that wasn't even the part you're supposed to groan at. Yeah, I got a joke about Chilean miners, and they all live in the joke. But I say, what color is the thermos? And when I hit that thermos line, everybody goes. Every <gasps> yesterday, Whoa. I said, what brand is the thermos? Then I said, Scooby Doo, and that still got a groan. So, really? Yeah. So I'll figure it out. Though. That's the fun of it. It's yeah. finding what doesn't upset the people because ultimately you don't want to upset them too much yeah that's the that's the whole point you don't go up there to make anybody upset no which i kind of learned now recently phrasing that like if you go up there and you're like listen guys i know this is going to be offensive but sometimes life hands you something and as a comedian you are in the best suitable position to talk about it because you can't walk into the office and be like hey this fucking thing <laughs> yeah. so like i we know this is offensive but we're the ones who have a platform to maybe share yeah the lenny bruce style yeah I've never yeah. gone back and listened to his stuff. Oh, uh, really? I yeah. uh, I'm rereading his uh, autobiography right now. Love, love. Just Lenny a bunch Bruce. of curse words. It's yeah, <laughs> yeah. It actually is. It's uh, it's it's good though. It, he talks about that same kind of thing of the uh, what is your responsibility basically as a comedian? Absolutely. Where do you draw the like? Because you know, there's some schools of thought where it's oh, you're just supposed to be funny. The very you know, uh, you know, Gallagher kind of approach, and then <laughs> it's. Uh, well, no, you're supposed to use your platform to question and to, you know. Yeah, like the Bill Hicks way. I'm yeah. like somewhere in between the, uh, I like Mitch Hedberg the most, and it's just the guy being silly. Yeah. Like, if it's offensive, it's offensive, but silliness is still the joke at the core. Yeah, it's the heart. Yeah, yeah that's what I love about it. That's why, that's why I just like to go up there and make everyone giggle. <laughs> Sometimes they groan. That's, that's what we're learning. When I was fatter, they groan less. Yeah. When I'm skinnier, they groan more. So it's just, it's well, all let's... a figuring out process. Let's talk about it. I don't want to spend too much time on it because I know you've been on a lot of other podcasts and you talk yeah, about the Apparently I've lost the... weight or something. <laughs> I don't, that's what people tell me. You've lost 180 pounds? Something like that. 350 was my heaviest. When I'm like in race training, I'm in the 160s now, but okay. now I'm out of the race and I've packed on some poundage. Yeah. Well, and you burn so many calories in an ultra marathon. I'm sure you just start gorging yourself. The within, week after, yeah. uh, I re my last race was 55 miles. The amount of food I ate in that week after was just next level. Like yeah. full pizzas, just wolf and stuff. I was so hungry. I mean, there's probably better ways to go about it. Maybe I would have <laughs> recovered quicker. Yeah. It's like yeah, eating unhealthy isn't always great for recovery, but I just get so hungry after these races. Yeah. So when did you, so let's take, Take the listeners back. So you started doing comedy at 19. 19 years old, stand-up comedian, failed college baseball player. Uh, yeah, let's. I want to get into that because you were, even when you were big, you were you were a pitcher. 
Yeah, so like I always struggled with weight my whole life, and uh, but I was good at baseball. And then like I would say sophomore year is when it became apparent that I was going to get recruited. And every coach that I met with would always say the same thing: like you're a good pitcher, but you're fat. They would oh, never really? sugarcoat words. Yeah, like, yeah. I I remember going back to old scouting reports of mine, and they're like Lamort is a 2013 graduate with a thick frame. And like that would be posted online. That yeah. was just written by adult men. And uh, so like I started getting into shape the later years of high school. Got, you know, down to like 190 pounds. Was working oh, okay. out a lot. Got pretty big. And then just blew out my arm. First yeah. game in college. Opening day. True freshman. First freshman out of the bullpen. Swear to God, we had an Applebee's a week before the season started. And there was this junior who transferred in from a Division One school who always used to hang out with us because he wasn't friends with the kids his age. It was easier to become friends with freshmen when he transferred. And he was like, yeah, what I learned from college baseball is the first one out of the pen is the first one under the knife. Oh, really? And then a week later, I was the first one out of the pen, and I was the first one under the knife. God, Blew and you, were, you and I have talked about this. You were, you were doing well, especially as a true freshman. I you, was you not you, bad. Like you the said whole, you got your speed up and your changeup. No one could hit. And then, I was always a big changeup guy, and then I started to throw much harder in that summer. And then that fall, I was the only pitcher on the team. Didn't give up a single hit in the whole fall season. You play like four warm-up games. Okay. And then, yeah, pitching as a true freshman, even out of the bullpen, was kind of cool to be, like, the first one into the game. And I... So was it the whole thing, like, the now entering, Dan, number... Not as fancy, ah, okay. but, yeah, kind of, like, you run out of the bullpen and shit. Sandman's playing in the background, under the Sandman? Yeah, you, you pick your own warm-up music and shit. I used to listen to comedy before games. That, oh, really? That's how I kind of knew. Like, everyone yeah. would be listening to music, and I'd listen to stand-up Pandora comedy channels. I'd just have... Yeah, that's... We, we were talking about that last night. I was a big... Uh, Pandora, I'm a, still to this day a big because you get so much variety. You could just toss it on different tracks, play. Sometimes it makes no sense. Like they just all. put the most random track for someone's comedy album that's clearly a tag to a joke that they forgot to leave in. Yeah. And then you just get a bit that doesn't make sense. Yeah, but that's how I got it. So I blew out my arm. It wasn't even my own fault, I think. Like one of the seniors to haze me. What, what type of hazing is this even? Like I was on the field doing the infield outfield where you have to catch like before the game, the team warms up and you're, you have to catch the balls for everyone. Yeah. And when I wasn't looking, he just whipped a ball into my elbow, like a oh. line drive. So it's probably swelled up. I was the first one into the game, didn't even think about it, went out there. And just because the elbow was swollen, that little bit of difference in that high velocity motion, it just popped. I'll never forget the sound. It was like a verbal pop. Oh, I called the catcher out who was also my roommate. And I was like, hey, my elbow is done. Like I just completely you knew right away. Out. Yeah, I knew. God. So that's when. So you've always been a fan of comedy. Always as young as I Greg Giraldo was a big one for me. Good yeah. day to cross the river was yeah. a great album. I love Greg Giraldo. He was on the roast. And then my uh, my parents had comedy albums around too. Jackie Martling, Hot Dogs and Donuts, which was okay. just like all one liners. It's so like they there was all comedy was always around. My dad was a huge Howard Stern fan, so Artie Lang's book was around Too Fat to Fish. Yeah. It's so like all of the pieces were there. But I don't know why I did it. Yeah. I don't know who that is. You wanna get it? I don't really want to get it, but I guess should I? I feel bad interrupting the podcast. No, you're good. This happens all, right. all the time. We actually talk about it. It's a running theme on the show now. They just said, please open the door. And you're like, all right. I just let a murderer into my building. My girlfriend gets so mad at me because a lot of times at like one or two in the morning, our thing, because it's just people hitting the buttons. Yeah. But we have a really big dog. Yeah. And so she freaks out. And I'm always just like, I get up and I hit it. And she goes, what are you doing? And I go, I'm hitting the thing so they stop. Yeah. She goes, you don't know who, who's coming in the oh, apartment. So you let everyone in. Yeah, I just hit the button. Yeah. I can't judge you because I just did the same thing. But I I'm, I'm guess I'm not. Of that New York mindset where it's like, no, nah, if we're not expecting a package, just let it ring. Like, I don't 
I'm not. Yeah, you're gonna get in. everyone in your bird m- m- building murdered. <laughs> Oof, the words really went together there. My brain is fried. I'm never worried about it because we have Maya and she's a hundred pounds. So if anyone comes through that door, like that's your daughter. <laughs> <laughs> you have if, a really fat kid just rolling around, <laughs> yeah, just biting all the people coming in. <laughs> they can't rob me. I got fat Maya. <laughs> so let's talk about. You grew up in Jersey. Always yeah. been a fan of comedy. Dad's a fan of Howard Stern. Oh, and, yeah. Always had Howard on in the car when I would be in there with him. Okay. And then you blow out your elbow. And then what do you think after that happens? Like, are you like, okay. I think I got a notebook and started writing to kind okay. of deal with everything. And maybe some of it turned out to be funny. I don't. But then I, at the same time, I do remember a distinct feeling that I was going to do stand up. Like, I definitely bought a notebook with the intention to write yeah. down jokes. I, I was researching open mics. I remember I was on vacation with my parents. Went to, like, Orlando, Florida. They felt bad that I blew up my arm. They are like, let's take him somewhere. So they took me to Orlando. And I remember just writing jokes in the hotel room. And then getting back from that trip, I think, was the first time I did stand-up. Okay, where did you... Do you remember where you, where you the first one you did? 10th Street Live in Kettleworth, New Jersey, which is a place that doesn't exist anymore. Good riddance. Some of my worst moments in that really? place. Really? Oh, it was hell. How'd you do the first time? Awful. So you bad. Bomb. See, well, I'm doing the show for over a year now, and I mainly have comedians on. It's always back and forth. There's some people who are like, yeah, I brought all my friends, crushed, and then the next one, crickets. Yeah, I was with my just me and my dad. I was a teenager in a bar. I wanted to leave. He said, just go up at least one time. He's yeah. like, just say you did it once, then we could leave after that. Because I wanted to go. I was like in the bathroom hyperventilating. And I went up, and maybe they left me up there for like eight to ten minutes. And oh, I got wow. maybe one laugh. It was like on a Parkinson's joke. I got like <laughs> one laugh. I was like, I know, some weird Michael J. Fox, Parkinson. I had some bad For material. 10 minutes. 10 minutes bombing. And then it was very clicky. Like, I remember all the local comics there went outside to smoke, like, when I went up there. Like, it was, like, yeah. not a good experience. And then I want to say a week later. Well, because I knew New York was the place to do comedy. Yeah. Just from being a fan of it. So my dad had his deli in the city, and I worked with him at that point because I was, you know, didn't know where I was kind of going. Uh, without baseball and all this, I didn't know if I was going to go back and play and try to recover. And I started working with him. And one day I went to Eastville, the old, uh, what is now New York Comedy Club. And I went on stage and did an open mic there. And it was great. Yeah. Like to the point where someone in the crowd, this guy, Vince Chang, who's still a close buddy of mine, he actually hosted my first album recording. He uh, he was like, hey, you're re- he kind of pulled my dad aside and was like, your son kind of has something here. He was oh, like, really? if he wants to pursue this, you should probably consider letting him. And then he knew a guy who ran shows and needed a barker. So he hooked me up as a barker right away. So almost immediately I went from open mics to just barking and I never did mics again. Yeah. I just became a ticket salesman and a barker standing in front of venues trying to get people in. Okay. And now how, cause we've talked about this a few times, but you, your rise in the New York comedy scene, like you're talking about was pretty abrupt it was it was kind of quick yeah i don't know how or why i think there's this there's this phenomenon maybe that where like a young comic comes into the scene everyone kind of knows they're not as good as like the seasoned vets but if there's like a teenager in the scene who's like getting laughs consistently on shows like i think there there's an allure to it like you get away with a little bit more you get given some more stuff because you're like the young person and you don't suck yeah. Because everyone thinks, oh, you're new in comedy, you suck. But some young people don't suck. They're not necessarily great, but, but they know how to bad, hold their yeah. own. And I think that's kind of just a case of what it was. Like, I knew 
I loved comedy. I studied comedy. I knew how to kind of assimilate in. Uh, well, not fully because I wasn't down for the hang. Yeah. I was never a big hang guy. That's so like, I never made like a core group of friends until now. Now I feel as much of the scene as uh, as ever. But yeah, those early years were, were very weird. Like uh, it, it's odd to look back and think how I made my way in so quickly. At the same time, I think it was just people wanting to give a young kid a chance, maybe. Yeah. And because you got... I don't know if you want to talk about it in depth, but you got passed at some pretty big clubs. Yeah, you know, I was passed at the cellar, you know, very early in, two, three years in. Uh, Which is I, insane to me. Very insane. I've been doing this for 12 years on and off, and I couldn't even sni- I'm still doing open mics because I just moved to the city, and you got passed at the cellar two years in. Yeah, that, that was right around the time frame. Uh, I, I had done Gotham Comedy Live, which was a TV show filmed at Gotham Comedy Club. That was kind of big. I did that like two years in. So you had credits two years in. That was big, getting that. And then like that got me passed into Gotham. So I was working Gotham. I was working like the cellar. And then I just had the opportunity to always have new tape, new footage I could submit to this and that. Yeah. And then it kind of all just... I didn't do anything with it. You know, I didn't have someone pushing me in the right direction. I was kind of just doing the sets. I wasn't necessarily writing the best stuff. And the seller eventually stops using me. And that's when I come to the realization, oh, my God, I'm 350 pounds now. I've gained so much weight. I mean, there was probably a lot of weight gained after the seller stopped using me in that, like, six-month window. Uh, And then that kind of just made the decision to lose weight. I was like, well, if comedy goes south, then what else do I have? And then I just have a shitty body. <laughs> and when was that? When So you're 19 when you start. You're 21 when you get past to the cellar. I worked there 22. for about a year and a half. And then 23, I start losing the weight. So I, okay. there was like a six-month period post-cellar where I stopped working there and then start losing the weight after that. Okay. And then your whole thing, and I know you talk about it on stage, and people can check out your Instagram uh, for those kind of stories and stuff. But your whole thing was you just wanted to get high and run. Yeah, I love stoned running was a big thing for me. I mean, stoned working out is how I definitely started losing the weight. I was in L.A. for a month, subletting a place for some work and whatnot. And uh, they had like a gym in the apartment building and I would just get lit so <laughs> fucking stoned. And I'd go into that gym and just lift again. What happened? Like, well, this is cool. Why? What brought you to getting stoned and then working out? Like, how did those things connect? My friend invited me on a hike like the first day I was in L.A. Okay. And I wasn't an active person. Obviously, I was 350 pounds. I didn't want to do that. But I was like, well, I'll go to a dispensary and then I'll go to the hike. Okay. And I kind of liked it. And then also on that trip in L.A., what what was a huge thing, honestly, was I walked everywhere. Yeah. Because there was enough. I stayed in West Hollywood. There was enough walking distance, dispensaries, just uh, tourist stuff, uh, the restaurants on, what do you call it, Melrose. So like there was always somewhere I could walk to. And some of those walks would be, you know, five miles. And I just started walking everywhere, getting stoned and walking. And I realized I loved it. I loved being outside, moving my feet and being stoned. And when I came back from that trip to New Jersey, I just put that all together. Okay. And I started, uh, I remember going for a run and hating it. And then the next time I tried a stoned run and that was kind of the start of it all. Okay. Yeah. Just, and then boom, you're down. A yeah. Person. Kind of similar to like the, the seller stuff, everything I do, it's you go all in from the start. So, I mean, within two years of running, I was running ultra marathons. God, that's insane. Yeah. I don't even like, cause you and I have talked about it. I'm a big, I'm a power lifter. Yeah. So cardio is almost like Opposite the enemy. Yeah. yeah. We're opposites. Yeah. And so it's interesting when you tell me like I'll see it on your story on Instagram or you will talk about it at the stand and you're like, yeah, you know, just did 15 miles today. No big deal. And I'm like, 
Fuck that. <laughs> yeah, that's just a regular old day. God. It just became something I loved. It was like a great way to... It's it's weird. So like it's running that type of distance, like a 55 mile. It's the perfect way to calm the mind. And it's also the perfect way to race the mind. I could bring my mind into two completely different spaces when I'm running. If I really want to think on something, it's the perfect opportunity to take a bit out there. Think about it. Take something anxiety in life. Take it out there. Or if I really just want to zone out and enjoy a long run, I could do that as well. So it's kind of this perfect you can do both. Uh, mirror yeah. to both things. And I kind of needed that for comedy. I needed something outside of comedy. Yeah. Like another passion because comedy, sure, it could be a hobby, but it's my job. So I, I needed like a, an actual hobby, something else I could do, something else I could have fun with that, that could bring joy to me. Because in, in comedy, there felt like there was no goddamn finish line. Well, and it's also like you said with the everything that happened with the seller when that was over and you came to the realization like, well, I'm 350 pounds and if I lose comedy, I've got nothing yeah you know and it's uh it's funny like i always think back to like when i call even when i say losing the seller and now i just think i was like well i wasn't good enough yeah and the best thing about it of getting out there was that at the same time not only did it inspire me to work out harder but it inspired me to become like a, a different kind of comic i think because in the weight loss it really forces you to to hone in on your writing yeah you can't rely on a persona so much as you're just your words up there now well and that's something that i went through as well when i got sober this last time my comedy before was very much disjointed. It was all over the place. It, there was no clear message. I, did, I couldn't find my voice to save my life. Yeah. And then when I got sober and I started taking it real serious, I was like, oh, this is what I'm trying to do now. And so everything became a lot more clear because I had an intention. Yeah, to what I feel I like doing. there's a lot of comics who find what they want to do in sobriety. Yeah, I had a good sober month. I went fully sober yeah, you for did. a month and enjoyed it. You went a whole extra week. Extra week. Yeah, I really thought I was going to go a lot longer. And then I hopped back on the train and I've hopped on heavy. But I'm <laughs> feeling like I'm going to get off again soon. Ah. At least the weed train. The, the weed is what like I really tell myself how great it is. But then honestly, like I went out for a stoned run the other day and it was really good. Except I forgot how much my feet hurt. Yeah, and I got back from that and I was like real messed up. I was going to say that's especially with the condition that you were in after that race that's got to be yeah your body's got to be like the fuck are you doing you go through this weird thing where like you know you shouldn't run like the i'm in this weird thing where i know to run i need time off so like the thing i want to do the only way to get it is to not do the thing i want to do it's 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 a very weird conundrum it's the same thing every day i wake up because i go to the gym six days a week so on sundays i have to force myself to be like you're not going today. Yeah. Like, just find something else to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to write or something. Yeah. I'll be like, give me at least one new bit. And then I'll be like, all right, well, you didn't run, but you got a new bit. That, that's my problem because I go full into everything. So, like, when I was so into the running, I was like, oh, you're ultra runner Dan. Yeah. And then comedian Dan takes a backseat, which is okay. Sometimes in life, things need to take a backseat, but running's never going to pay the bills. I'm still a 350-pound guy at, at three years ago. You know, it's hard yeah. to be. You're not taking that body at the professional level. Yeah, it's not, it's not Goggins yet. No, not yet. And Goggins wasn't even a professional runner, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I guess technically, if he he sold his story, so that that makes you a professional of sorts. Yeah. So when did you start smoking weed? Oh, uh, in life, in high school. Okay. And then did you in party college, a lot in high school? Big. I. I'm glad I wasn't popular because like I, I partied a lot for a kid who wasn't popular. Okay. If I was popular, I'm sure it would have been even worse. But like, yeah, I had alcohol poisoning a few times in, co- in high school. I was 
Let's talk about that. Well, just I never even like to this day, I still get, dude, I don't know how to drink responsibly. Like I, I'm not an alcoholic where I could go like you have an addictive drinking. personality. Yeah. But if I drink, I'm going to drink. Yeah. Like I'm going to go, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm the same way. I'm going to ultra drink. That's why I <laughs> got the name of the episode. Um, that's why I like I have to stay away from video games and stuff because I'm an addict. So yeah. like once I start like playing. Like, I'll be on there for hours. That's exactly what it is. It's the same thing with comedy. It's everything I do. Completely addictive personality. So, like, when I first started drinking, it was never just have one. And and I remember being at, like, a party. How Uh, old were you? uh, I was a junior. No, a sophomore. No, junior. 16, yeah. I mean, I started drinking younger than that, stealing my parents' liquor out of the cabinet. Yeah. Like an idiot. Stealing vodka. Green apple vodka. I would steal from them. (laughs) And then I'd fill the bottle back up with water. Yeah, you got to. As if, and then like they put it in the freezer and it partially freezes. And, and they're they like, what's know. going on? Yeah, they know. <laughs> it turns into a slushy. Yeah, it was. Uh, and I just remember being in the backseat of my friend's dad's car. He was driving us home and I knew I had drank too much. Everything was spinning and I threw up in my mouth, but I closed my mouth. So I, I caught it there. Yeah. And he was like, are you That's OK? Disgusting. And I was like, yeah, yeah. and then Joe's like, I don't know if he's OK. And I'm like, I'm OK. And then another one came so you just up. Swallowed it down. There was nothing to swallow because another one came back up, Ooh. and you can't swallow throw up when there's another one on the way. So I threw up all over his car. Oh no! He dropped me off, and like I walked inside. The second I hit the inside of my house, I started vomiting all over, just like projectile walls. Yeah, yeah. And my mom was a nurse, so she definitely knew I had alcohol poisoning, but she forced me to stay up all night and just made me throw up under her care. So I never took me to a hospital. I threw up. Had to be 30, 40 times. God. And uh, she just watched me the whole time. I think we drank Everclear that night. Yeah, that'll do it. I, I remember the first time I got alcohol poisoning. Very similar situation. I ended up in the ER, but. Yeah, I should have been. I 100% should have been in the ER, but my mom was like teaching me that Catholic lesson. Yeah. My mom was like the type of person was. She's still very much alive. I love her to death. But that she went to years of Catholic uh, girl school, and that guilt is so ingrained in her. Like when I got arrested for selling weed in high school. <laughs> I'm just going to go from one right to the other. When I got arrested for selling weed, she made me call my grandparents and apologize. Really? Yeah. What type of guilt is that? That's horrific. Yeah. I had to call up my grandma and be like, hey, I'm sorry. And she was like, what for? And I was like, well, I got arrested yesterday for selling weed. You would have never known this, but I needed to apologize to you because you fucked your own daughter up so bad. (laughs) So what? What happened? Was this in high school as well? Yeah. High school, junior year, uh, or maybe senior year because I'd already had the scholarship. Me and two friends. We like wanted there was a younger party that night. Okay. So we were gonna get a bunch of uh, dime bags, package them up as twenty bags, and then sell them for a profit and fuck over the younger kids. Okay. Yeah. So we picked up weed and then I put it in my center console, and within five minutes I ran a red light, and the cops asked for my license and registration, which were in, in the, the center, center console. console. So we all got arrested. <laughs> so what was it a full arrest or a written arrest or were you like detained? They booked? cuffed us. Yeah, they smashed my hood off the face of the car, put me in cuffs. They uh, they smashed your face off the hood yeah, of the car Yeah, real hard. They were not taking it lightly. Uh, it wasn't the first time I was cuffed either. So I was used to it. But they they cuffed me. All my friends never read us the Miranda rights, which is why we ended up getting in no trouble. That oh, was really? never a thing that was read. And I remember they took us to the police station. They like called the parents, whatnot. I had to go to court because I got a bunch of tickets. 
like uh, possession with intent to sell. Jesus. Uh, I had three friends in the car, which was illegal because I was 17. It was like you're only allowed one person in the car with you. Okay. Uh, I never gave them my license and registration because it was underneath the weed. So I just refused to give it to them. Uh, yeah, they were, uh, but I had a good lawyer and they forgot to read the Miranda rights. And one of the kids I got to wrestle with, his dad was the chief of police. So, oh yeah, everything so. added up to where like, especially cause they cops really mean to us. So I think they ended up getting in trouble. Oh really? Like I had like, there was this kiosk in the mall in New Jersey where you could bring your iPhone and they would, uh, like put a new screen on it for you. Like you get like a red screen or a blue screen. Like you could like make it your own, your phone. Yeah. And I just paid to have like a nice red screen put on. And when we got back to the police station, the cop took my phone and held it between the door of the car and closed the door and just shattered the screen on my phone. Why? Just to be an ass. God. Fuck that. And uh, yeah, that was the year I got a lawyer for Christmas. <laughs> I got bail money for a birthday present. Yeah, once, so. that's white trash through and through. Yeah. It was actually kind of funny because my parents had to pick me up from the... Uh, jail or whatever the fuck it was and they were coming from doing all the shopping for my dad's deli yeah so they literally picked me up and just a car full of snacks which kind of looked like a reward for being a stoner <laughs> <laughs> i know you just got arrested for weed but here's yeah a car and they're full literally of just sitting on like fruit gushers and starburst in the back seat <laughs> <laughs> that's the best so what happens because this is all before you got to college all before I went to college. So you have the scholarship. You go. What's what college did you go to? Felician University. FU. Okay. It's like last chance. You. Some of the people they allowed on this team. Stories I will not get into on a podcast because I'm sure the school would get in trouble. Yeah. It was just a no holds barred kind of thing. Like if a school had a person they didn't want anymore, we took them. Yeah. If they were good, they could play. They could throw. We had a spot. God. So what? It's a D1 school. Division or two. Division two. Yeah. So. D2, just throwing out scholarships left and right. And then you Good get, amount, yeah. They they were a good baseball program. That's like what really I was going to ask. Team. So you get there. It's a good baseball program. And what happens? Like going from not being so popular in high school to being a full scholarship pitcher. Well, like I was that weird middle ground where I could have been popular because I was funny. Funny enough, like I always had bits in high school. Yeah. Like uh i went to a catholic school so if you got too many detentions you were on the no dress down list which means like because there was dress down days where like one day a month you could wear regular clothes okay uh which was always i felt like not a smart thing to do in catholic schools because it was just like the horniest day yeah like where girls oh, so it was co-ed <laughs> yeah co-ed okay. it was like the day where everyone could just really flaunt it like you know girls would like have the cleavage out guys would all be in gray sweatpants yeah <laughs> But like, uh, I remember one Christmas I was on the no dress down list, but I still came in, but I, I, in a full elf costume <laughs> and I had bells all over the costume cause I knew we had to have masks. So I had to get like masks with these jingly bells on. I had on booty shorts and elf costume, elf shoes. And like, I would always do bits like that. Like yeah. I always liked just doing crazy shit. So like I had friends, but I also was weird. Yeah. Like there was no way around it. I was still always a comic. I liked being, I always to myself. thought I was just fat. Yeah. <laughs> I always enjoyed my, my solitude and my own time. But uh, that is the interesting thing about doing comedy is even on stage, because I'm very extroverted on stage. My persona, my the guy yeah. I am when I get on stage is very loud. But I mean, you see me at the stand. If I'm around friends, I'm I can get kind of like I like the hang and I'll, I'll talk. But if I get to the stand and there's nobody, I, I, I don't see anybody I know. I'll sit at the, the end of the bar and not speak yeah. to anybody like yeah. I don't want to. And it's very difficult for and me. And on stage, you're more extroverted. Oh, yeah, very much so. But I'm very much an 
extroverted introvert, if that makes sense. Like when yeah. I'm on stage, I yell and I scream. But afterwards, like I've done shows where you're standing outside and I'm smoking a cigarette and people will come up and be like, oh, my God, you were so funny. And I'm just like, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. Like, I, like that scene in um, uh, Superbad where I'm like, oh, and oh, I just yeah. like want to walk away. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. I used to be more extroverted on stage than I am now. But that's funny because I'm not extroverted. Like off stage, I'm a very... I'll be loud, but if it's with a group of people I trust enough to be around. If not, I'm usually a very introverted guy. And on stage, I'm now more introverted than I've ever been because that's what I want to come off because that's who I am. Yeah. When I used to be extroverted on stage, it wasn't even who I was. So I was like, this is more of a character that I'm doing. Now I I like being a little like I went on stage the other night on Frantic with like my hoodie on and a jacket over it. And hands in my pocket. And I was like, this is the most comfortable I've ever been on stage. And I also look the most introverted I've ever been. Yeah, that's true. I, it's it's interesting because I'm the same kind of way if I'm around people I trust and I know. I'll, you know, I will talk, you know, till two in the morning, you know, comedy about different stuff. But I, I don't know when I get on stage, as soon as I get the mic, I don't know. There's something clicks in my head where it's not. I'm comfortable being loud. Yeah. So I don't know if it's one of those things where it's just that. Oh, yeah, we love being the center of attention. I think that might have a like lot I to said, do with I it. Like I said, I dressed up as an elf with bells on. <laughs> and booty shorts. Yeah, everyone, like, it's always been there for some reason, This the, the urge to not care to have the eyes on you. Yeah, but then that's the thing is when I'm off stage, if I'm sitting, I could be sitting next to like 10 people at the bar. And if I don't know them personally, I don't. I don't say hi. I don't do anything. I just yeah. sit. They really myself. do need to do a psychological study on this because so many co- comedians now, myself included, like we both just did say we're introverts. But genuinely, when I think of it at the core, no real introvert goes on stage I and was, says, yeah. look at me. Yeah. Because that automatically brings the eyes on you and that yeah. brings the people coming up to you afterwards. So I don't think we actually could claim, but maybe we, who knows? Who knows? Maybe it's one of those things. Where I, like, what I do know work. is I'm not the brain to figure it out. <laughs> I'm the brain to ponder it and then pass it off to someone. So when you got to uh, college, were you like, fuck yeah, here we go? I loved it. College was perfect for me. The one year I was at Felician was great because when you're on like a sports team in college, you have your built-in group of friends. Yep. You go in already knowing kind of some of them because you meet beforehand. Uh, the way my school was set up was perfect. So like, it was two people to each dorm, and then that dorm had a bathroom that connected to another dorm. So it was like a kind of a mini apartment. Yeah. And it was all baseball players. So, like, we all lived with, you know, guys from the team, which was chaos at points, but also great. And it just was like that was the closest group of friends I'd ever had. And it was the most fun. I mean, we partied, we drank, we got up to, you know, some crazy shit. Well, let's talk about it. So when you get there, you're – Obviously, you you know some of the guys because, like you said, the same thing with me. Like when I go to orientation, you know all the they put all the football players kind of together. You get to know a few people, and then when I went to FAU, there was the preseason workout. So before school even starts, like halfway yeah. through the summer, all the football players come in and we start working. Yeah, and everyone would sign their letter of intent, so you always knew who was going to your school. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so like I knew that. And then also like my roommate was someone who I played travel ball with. Okay. As my catcher. So like he had caught me for years. I knew who he was so like it, it was very oh, that's easy. Cool. Going so that's like it. you're going there with your guy. Absolutely. We didn't always get along. We actually had fights many times leading before college. And then we got to college and we became close. Okay. <laughs> what were you guys getting fights about? I remember there was one game where like college <laughs> college coaches were coming to see him. Yeah. And uh, to see him, just to him. see him like because sometimes coaches would yeah. come to see one player or oh, something. Yeah. 
and we were down in Georgia, and I wasn't playing. So if, when when you're a pitcher, you get into hijinks. That's what you do because there are some games. I was a starter, so I never. If I wasn't pitching, I was doing nothing. Yeah. Until college, when I became a reliever. But anyway, these coaches come to see him, and uh, <laughs> they were coming to see him catch. So the first inning, like. I blew up a huge piece of chewing gum and blew a huge bubble and then just stuck it right on the top of his helmet. Oh, no. <laughs> so he's out there just like doing no his thing. No idea. Just a huge chunk of bubble gum on his helmet. Like <laughs> I would just do dumb shit like that. Oh, I bet he was pissed. Yeah, we. Got, I think it almost came to blows. Oh, did you guys ever physically get into a fist fight? I remember getting in each other's faces, but never like actually throwing hands. Okay. Yeah, you don't. Pitchers are crazy, man. You don't. Yeah, I remember one time putting like thumbtacks in someone's Advil. Looking back what? on it now, that's a bad one. Yeah, dude, baseball players were dumb. God, that's insane. So, when did the partying start in college? Like right when you got there? Or? Yeah, right after we ripped that guy's esophagus with the Advil prank. But uh, <laughs> no, I'm joking. That never worked. The Advil prank. Kids aren't that dumb. But uh, partying started quickly because uh, the older seniors had a house, the baseball house. Okay. Uh, so, like, they would, like, I remember right away they brought the freshmen over, and it seemed like their goal to get us as fucked up as possible. But I was like a party house. A few seniors had houses, and we'd all go there to party. Yeah. And then uh, the biggest party ever, though, was as freshmen, we decided let's try to throw a party. Okay. In the dorm rooms. Oh. Which, this was a two-person connecting dorm room. This is a Franciscan university. And, dude, not the banger we throw. We got the seniors coming from their senior house to the freshman dorms into the party. Really? We got kids from other fucking schools. It was a big commuter school. We had people who didn't even live at the school come in. We had. What, how did you get the party going? Like, what happened? You guys just one day decided we're going to have a party? What yeah, was the we plan? Bought a that bunch of beer, a bunch of weed, told everyone we were going to throw this massive party. Whatever happens, happens. And I, I, I think they said, like, that night. I'm probably exaggerating the numbers, but I believe anywhere from like 40 to 60 kids got written up, which really mind you, this is a two. This is a dorm building that usually four people live in. Yeah. We had about 30 people per room. Damn. When they eventually the cops came, the superintendent, like it was a big thing. Like all these people came. Uh, I'll never forget, like the cops busted in and then the senior baseball player was like hiding under my bed. Like this kid really? who came from a house where he could drink out with no problem is now in a dorm getting in trouble. Uh, the yeah, RAs now you're surrounded by underage kids. Yeah, the That's... RAs busted in and made us. They watched us as we poured every single beer down the drain. Had to be 70, 80 beers. God. They made us pour each one individually down the drain. And uh, the next day, the coach, knowing we'd be all hungover to punish us, made us run hills oh, for no. miles. And that was actually a big moment for me because I wasn't fast. I didn't like running per se, but I was. You're loving 190 it. at this point, right? Yeah, I loved it. I was in the front of the pack with like the seniors on the team, even though it was because I felt like it was my punishment. I deserved it. Yeah. But I still didn't hate the running. I remember this. The longer we went, the more I enjoyed it. Wow. So like that was probably my earliest sign of like liking the endurance aspect of running and the self punishment. Because I, I do say, love the, the masochism behind it. I do. I mean, people are like, ah, oh, you. I try to deny the masochism to 55 mile races and stuff like that. But that suffering is grace. Yeah. Uh, so to go through suffering, I feel like it's a very graceful thing. Well, and it's also one of those things where you and I were talking about this. I think it was right after the race. It's like when I go to the gym, a lot of times I don't get sore anymore because I work out so much. And then the days where I really push myself and the next day I cannot move like I'm in so much pain. There's something beautiful about that. You Absolutely. feel you feel good through that. Not only in physical stuff, but like in life, you have to learn to accept the pain, too, because pain is the, the greatest motivator. Like when I was 
laying in a hospital bed with fatty liver disease at 350 pounds, there was still a part of me that was laying there like, this is, I did this. I deserve this. I gave myself this this pain. And then obviously that was the motivator to make a change because you don't want to die from a fatty liver. Same Uh, exact thing happened. I remember getting alcohol poisoning on my 30th birthday and I remember being in the bathroom just violently throwing up and looking in the mirror and going, this is what you deserve. Yeah, nothing's worse than a violent throw up. Your mouth is like a broken garden hose. Just (laughs) And it like, you feel it, like your stomach feels like it's turning inside out. The worst is when you're done throwing up whatever you had that day and it's just like the... Yeah. Oh, God. I've I've got... I don't want to say the words. It's so disgusting. When I... um. I think it was the first time I got alcohol poisoning. I ended up throwing up stomach acid. Yeah. And people were like, no, you you can't do that. And I was like, no, it's like a black tar that came out. Ooh, and nice. because it was stomach acid, it swelled up my, eso- like the whole thing. Oh, like yeah. my esophagus was swollen. Dude, that's bad for you. I used to date a girl with an eating disorder, had some smelly teeth. Yeah. Because when she would force herself to throw, I mean, this is really brutal. <laughs> well, to and not only about, that, but, but you can't, it, it swells your esophagus to the point where you can't swallow anymore. Yeah, you're telling me she couldn't. <laughs> 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 oh, God. <laughs> but, um,. So you throw this banger of a party, you get punished with hills, and that's when you kind of find a love for the endurance. Yeah, that was uh, that was a fun party to get in trouble for. Then we started taking our fun off campus. There was another school, Montclair. Yeah, I know. Not Montclair. far by. So like Felician wasn't a big party school. Montclair was a bigger party school. So sometimes I guess to take out our anger, we would kind of there'd be a designated ish driver, you know. Yeah, that would one or two drinks. You know, yeah. would go out through the night. But we would drive to Montclair. And we would go to like we would find where their big parties were, whatever frat houses they were going to be or sports houses. Yeah. And we would wait until they later in the night when these kids would be drunk walking in between parties and we would just take eggs and start egging them from the oh car. Oh, God. Just f- at other schools. fucking yeah. would do. I remember one time this was a crime, but they got away with it <laughs> is Montclair had a lacrosse house. So like the lacrosse team had their own house or whatever. We got into a party at the lacrosse house and they had this like beautiful neon sign that was from like the old Yankee stadium that like oh, used wow. to hang there. And we just stole it. We had like a pickup truck waiting to go. We just wrapped it in a blanket, put it in the pickup truck and drove. So off. you just happenstance had the pickup. Like you were driven there in a pickup truck. No, I think this was a plan. Okay. I just remember going That's along with it. I don't remember being part of the plan, but I think someone knew someone at this school who had the sign. Yeah. So we were like, let's pretend to go to the party and steal it. And I was just like, well, I could probably drink tonight. So I'll go. <laughs> We did bad, dude. Felician was we we had to make our own fun because it was a dry town. Yeah, uh, East Rutherford, New Jersey, and the parties weren't like it was a small school. So like, I left Felician after I got hurt. The second year, which would have been my sophomore year, they had an influx of students that they weren't ready for. They had to house a bunch of the kids at the Red Roof Inn. Really, and a lot of them got bed bugs. Uh, yeah, it's like that's, that, that's the type fears. of college it was. Like I hand wrote my college entrance exam on did loose you really? leaf paper. No. That's how confident I was with the scholarship and how shitty the school. Yeah. God, that's a small because FAU is not a huge school, but it's still 30,000 kids. Yeah, this wasn't that. Yeah. This was like everyone knew each other. Yeah. OK. Did yeah. you <clears throat> like when the one of our assistant coaches, we had to help him move in. That was like one of our workouts. We had to help him move into his place in East Rutherford. Really? And then two weeks later, when his wife left him, we <laughs> we had to then move him into the dorm rooms. And he stayed in the dorm rooms illegally. 
He had his own dorm room. This was like a 50-year-old <laughs> man. <laughs> and he paid him. <laughs> That was one of your workouts. Yeah, that was one of my workouts. <laughs> it was a bad school. Oh, man. Good is, baseball team, though. Is there a part of you that maybe thinking back on it now, hindsight, you wish you went to a bigger school? No. Did you have offers from other schools? Yes. Okay. None of them were like the biggest, but this was the one that made the most sense. I, I had this weird inclination to stay in New Jersey, especially in the trouble I had been getting in, and I yeah. was having some mental issues the year before that. I was in a mental institution for a week, so I just knew it was probably best to not go that far away from home. Was that drug or alcohol related or? You know, uh, drug, uh, relationship, rela- it was a mix of like a relationship ending, me getting caught for selling the weed, and just being like, well, I guess if I tell everyone I want to kill myself, they can't get that mad at me for selling drugs. Yeah. <laughs> but I also was probably suicidal at some point of it. And then I went away to a mental institution for a week, and I loved it. Yeah. I had so much fun. Time of my of, life. Yeah, I have a lot of experience with that. I, I was an adolescent, so I was in the 18 and under wing. That was party, dude. We had a menu for food and stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. It wasn't like that. When I got Baker acted in Florida, it wasn't, it wasn't that much. It wasn't like a party. I it had was... a good time. I almost got myself caught up there for a while like i was only supposed to be there for a week and they try keep me for a while yeah because like i was an aggressive baseball player and like they were asking me about baseball and they were like do you ever hit anyone and i was like well if they warrant it they're like what do you mean yeah. i was like well if someone walks across the mound the next batter gets hit someone talks about me before a game that guy gets hit yeah and, like i started telling them like all the people i've Lessons hit not and they were like you have anger problems forgotten. you need to stay here for a while i was like no i don't <laughs> I, I didn't mean any of that I you have anger problems yeah. It was fun. Though. I really did like it. I mean, like, because they say you're not allowed to flirt with anyone. So naturally, Dude, everyone's hit. trying to fuck each oh, other. Oh, yeah. Dude, you want to hear a crazy story? Yes, I do. So I, you're not supposed to make friends with anyone. I make friends with this kid <laughs> whose name I won't use. So me and this kid, we become Walk buddies. the mound, you get hit. He's there, right? He's there with a broken arm, arms in a cast. Yeah. He's there because his girlfriend broke up with him. So he punched the floor, shattered his arm to oh. pieces. Uh yeah, and this is how fucked up the mental institution was. Like, I tried making this a joke on stage, but it's... Uh, so I've said it on stage before, but it's also the real thing. Like, they wouldn't let us pick out our own movies, but they would pick out the movies for us. And the first night we were there, they made us all watch The Notebook, which is, like, the saddest movie. And, yeah. like, this kid's in there for going through a breakup. He's, like, crying onto his cast. But this kid, we become buddies, whatever. We stay in touch after the mental institution. He's got a rough go of it, you know? He... <laughs> He doesn't straighten it out like a lot of us did. It, it continues to be sketchy for him. He kind of gets it on the rough gets it on the straight and narrow. Invites you to his wedding pre-pandemic. Like, maybe oh wow! A, so you guys have stayed in touch for a while. Yeah, yeah. Invites you to his wedding. He's like, dude, I'm getting married in a few months. Look out for the invite. The next week, my mom says, "Hey, isn't this your buddy?" Click the news article. Murdered two dudes. What? Just shot him. Yeah. Just kill two guys. What? Yeah, I was talking to him like the day before about his wedding. Would, he was asking me to hang out and stuff too. He always asked. He'd be the type of guy who'd like hit you up. Be like, you know, you need a gun or anything? And I'd be like, no, I don't just need. What do you think you're gonna catch me on a day I needed a gun? What? Yeah, he was like, oh, he was one of those guys. If you need a gun, I got you. I'd be like, I'm still telling jokes, man. So what? Is he in prison now? Yeah. They caught him. Yeah, they got Did him. Did we ever figure out why he killed those two dudes? I think it was a drug deal gone bad or something. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that makes more sense. I thought it was going to be, hey, I'm getting married. And then he like walks into his girl getting gangbanged. And he's just no, like, everyone's yeah. dead. I think it was, <laughs> yeah. He, he had anger problems looking back on Obviously. it. Obviously. 
Yeah. He, I remember him losing his cool a few times in the, he was one of the few guys I stayed in touch with. Yeah. That mental institution got in trouble because it turned out in the time I was there, I actually could have been part of the class action lawsuit, but I never really did much with it that, uh, they were drugging us at night. They were giving us like sleeping pills against uh, without telling us so they could just knock us out and not have to deal with us. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's. I didn't up. feel that bad about it. It's not like no. you know, if you stay aw- Yeah, it's not like if you stay awake, it becomes less of a mental institution. Yeah, they were kind still- of just helping us. I, I took trazodone for a while. Yeah, she was like a horse tranquilizer. <laughs> <laughs> that put me out, dude. That's what they uh, gave a lot of the uh, thick boys like me, <laughs> three hundred pounds and above. Up get trazodone. <laughs> I was gonna say the bipolar kids. They gave them. Yeah, they thought I was that for a while. Did they? Yeah, it made no sense. I never had any manic highs. Yeah, so that wouldn't make any sense. No, they were just looking for a, a term. They, they didn't know what autism was then. Or yeah. they did, but they just didn't know enough to look for it. So you've been diagnosed now as being on the spectrum. Yeah, I go to a therapist who tells me I have Asperger's. I don't know if that's official, but that's what I go with. But you're not. we're not allowed to say Asperger's anymore. Nope, because he was a Nazi. <laughs> kind of. Like Nazi adjacent. Enough to where they don't want you to say Asperger. <laughs> I don't know. It's not, it's not even like you're... Yeah. I got crystal knock disease. <laughs> it's not even sound that Asperger. I got it when it was not even Asperger. It's autism spectrum disorder. Okay. ASD. Shouts out. Shout out. Yeah. You're actually the second comic I've had on here that has spectrum autism oh, God. spectrum. Disorder. How many comics have you had on? A lot. Yeah. So I'm definitely not the second. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> There's so many autistic people in comedy. They just. No, that is true. But I, you're the second person who's been diagnosed by a seemingly professional that they have it yeah like basically i started going back to therapy and i brought up to my because uh, a comic who had a brother with asperger's like pulled me aside one day i was like i don't know if you know what asperger's is but like this is something that i think you might have so i started looking it up after that taking some like the online tests and shit it all made sense it, it was like then i found a forum that had like um adults with Asperger's writing like essays and stuff about how they perceive the world and stuff mm-hmm. like that was the first time i kind of read stuff that i felt put in put like my existence into words. So that yeah. was when it kind of became real to me. And I went back to therapy and a the therapist was like, yeah, this, uh, I believe you exhibit these signs. This makes sense. Like a lot of times young boys are misdiagnosed bipolar too, who have Asperger's. And what is it? It's just a disassociation, isn't it? So for me, it's all over the place. It's a lot of sensory stuff. I don't really love being touched like a quick dap up and a hug I could do, but like actual physical contact is really tough for me, especially with the closer someone is to me. Like the more I love someone, the harder it is for me to let them touch me. Okay. Stuff like that. Loud noises is tough. I don't eat wings or ribs, stuff like that. I can't have stuff on my fingers. Okay. Uh, weird stuff. So like I've had tubes in my ears a lot of my life, which uh, people with Asperger's have more fluid in their ears than most people. Oh, wow. So like I... Super sensitive hearing as well. Uh, more intuitive than most, I'd say. Like, I'll pick up on things that a lot of, like, if I'm with someone in a group, I'll usually be the one who picks up on, like, I'll see the person in the distance. I'll notice what they're doing, like, what they're wearing. Like, it's just, it's weird stuff. Weird focus on things. Yeah. And, like, a one-track mind. Like, when I get into something, I'm into it. Like, when I'm into running, it's running. When I'm into comedy, it's comedy. Same uh, thing, like when I'm yeah, driving. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Then, I, like when I would drive into the city, every I would take the same lane, the same toll booth. Okay. All yeah. Yeah. So I'm, now that you're describing it, a lot of comics. A lot of people are. Tendency. It's like I, I think a lot of people fall on the, this wide spectrum of things. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I love the tag that you have. I count windows. I don't know what you want from me. <laughs> It's like I'm such on a it's almost like I I don't even want to talk about it on stage anymore because I feel like I'm on such a mild spectrum of it. Yeah. Like I heard someone say like the joke to they were like, well, do you have 
uh, like what type of autism do you have? Is it Asperger's or like are you eating glue? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you know, you're right. I'm not eating glue. That's, so. Yeah, we had um, AJ Wilkerson on, and he his um, exhibits in uh, shaking. Yeah, like he shakes real bad. Yeah, like if you've noticed under the table, my leg is going the whole yeah. time. Yeah, and he's when he's on stage, like he and he talks about it, but he like can't control. Like you think. You look at him and you go, "What? Like, what's going on?" Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. See, for me, it's not that noticeable, but I tap my fingers when I'm on stage. Okay. Like, I'll usually keep one of my open hands to just tap my fingers, and then when I'm sitting down, I always move my legs a lot. Yeah. I'm... And I love being close to myself, so I love pulling my legs in, having them close to me. I love being in a hood. Like, I my whole childhood, I'd always get in trouble for having a hood on in class. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, it makes a lot of sense now. Yeah. Uh, grew up in a very black town, so that's why. But. <laughs> Nalpa, New Jersey was as white as they come <laughs> My town needs more crime They have a Facebook page, Nalpa Facebook page Where they just post pictures of the people Who didn't put their shopping carts away Really? Yeah That's, that's how bad you, it is? You see that and you're like Someone needs to hold you up at gunpoint today just so To can... really show you a crime What is. fear is Yeah, it's not the woman who wanted to get her cart Close to her car to dump the Oreos in She's not the real perpetrator here I miss it though, you know. Yeah, <laughs> you a, you just moved it. into the city. This just, is yeah, you've we're been recording in this in my this brand time? new apartment. There's only very few things here. No couch. I have a picture of myself hanging up. You That's do, it. yeah. An artist I like made that for me. Like That's a, awesome. A guy whose art I've actually bought before. So like, my girlfriend says it's narcissistic. It was more a joke than anything, and I just haven't taken it down yet. Yeah, leave it up. It looks good. We have a TV. Uh, I like it though. You yeah, know? it's a it's a big apartment. Long. It's a long apartment. Very long, long and thick. Uh, it. Enters hard. Um. <laughs> I wanted to get back to um, you did say we talked about the first time you got alcohol poisoning. You did say you got alcohol poisoning a couple times. So many times. So, so. when so the first time was in high school. Did, did you continue to get it in high school or did you get it when you went into college? One or? other time in high school, I got it on loopy vodka, which is fruit. I know loopy. Oh, I know loopy. I haven't been able to even eat fruit loop since, dude. That, that was um, ruined that, me. That was big when I, because I'm a few years older than you. So that was big when I was in college. That was three olives, right? Loopy yeah. vodka. Yeah. I remember when it came out, it was huge. I'll never forget. I had Chinese food during the day that I went to a New Year's Eve party at night and I was projectile vomiting rice. So much rice. <laughs> I don't know, dude. Rice comes up so easy when you throw up. I've thrown yeah, up yeah. rice so many times. Rice, apple, fruit's really good, too, if you're going to throw up. Ugh. Ice cream is good. Ugh, man, <laughs> I'm just thinking of all the times I'm throwing up now in my head. Yeah, so I get, that happened again in high school, so on that New Year's Eve, then... When you say alcohol poisoning, you know it was like... because Or did you just There's like throwing up two or three times, and there's th I consider alcohol poisoning if you threw up more than 25 times in a night. Okay, yeah, I would agree with that. I cause The reason I ask is because the three times I've gotten alcohol poisoning, all three times I've been rushed to the emergency room. Yeah, well, and you're like, like close to dying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. like... Three or four IVs in different veins because I'm so dehydrated. My body's starting to shut down. And All of like, my ones in college should have been like drop him off at the hostel. Yeah. But instead, the friends are just like, what do we do? Let's just leave him face down on the toilet and hope he... As long as you're not laying on your back, you're going to be all right. Exactly. <laughs> right in the toilet. I've spent many nights on a toilet. And then, uh, yeah, I, I would just say Jaeger. I mean, I don't know if I need to get into specific stories. I just feel like most of them start and end with Jaegermeister. Yeah. There's very few times. Big Jaeger guy? Big Jaeger. Like, I got so into Jaeger that I started realizing if you combined Jaeger with root beer, it kind of numbed out the taste of the Jaeger. So, and then I just started, like, drinking Jaeger as, like, a mixed drink all the time. God. Yeah. That's... I remember, like, going out with my family to, like, a Buffalo Wild Wings and being like, <laughs> just, 
double <laughs> shot of Jaeger, please. Like, for real. I don't know how no one stopped me. That's a sad drink. And I would freeze it. Ugh, the deer's blood, they would call it. Yep. I had some of my worst. I remember being in Portland, Maine and just ripping shot after shot. For of a Jaeger. show? Yeah, just doing a show. And it was like the first night of the tour. And then I remember just like one of those drunks. You're like, give me my mom. I want my mom. Yeah, oh yeah. I am that drunk. God. I remember throwing up the next morning on the lawn of the hotel. And there was this woman out there just making eye contact with me the whole time. Like she was disapproving. It wasn't like she was like, oh, I hope you feel better. She was just like, look at this asshole. But make eye contact while I'm vomiting. And that's such a vulnerable time to look at someone. Yeah. I... Like she was inside of me. <laughs> I can't stand throwing up in front of people. It makes me very uncomfortable. Yeah, I remember one time dating this girl, and she was very tiny vegan, and she drank a bunch of uh, strawberry Ritas. And by a bunch, I mean two, but she was a tiny vegan. Yeah. And she was naked in my place, and she started throwing up in the toilet, and I never wanted to see her again because you see too much of someone when they're naked and throwing up. Like, you see the inner workings of her. <laughs> Like, you know, it's like being shown a, a glimpse in the factory, how yeah. it's made. Well, it's like those um, in the, like the science books, how they have like the person and then like down the middle. It's like, yeah, the it was insides. like the body exhibit yeah, where the body yeah. sliced in half, except she was alive on the floor. God, you just one never, of our last dates. Never talked to her again. It was a mix. I mean, she had already told me she, this was when I was heavy. She was yeah. a tiny vegan and I was fat at this point. Like she was probably going through something on her own. And, like, she flat out was like, I can't bring someone as fat as you back home. Like I had that. Like I dated women when I was at the heaviest who were definitely embarrassed to bring me back home. But you would still get women. Not a ton. Like but there was still at points. Yes. And then I had a breakup. And then after that breakup. Uh, yeah, I guess there was women along the way. Yeah, because I remember not a when ton. I got up to... like there wasn't a ton of sex. I was a big yeah. uh asshole i'd be like they would come over just go down on me maybe i'll go down on you and then that was all i had because i was so fat and lazy god i would not a, not a big sex guy yeah we uh, i remember when i stopped playing football i ballooned up to about 315 pounds because i could not i couldn't stop drinking like i yeah. was like oh and you can relate to this because you stopped playing sports it was one of those things where Football was gone, and that was 80 hours a week I was dedicating to that. No between, coach down your up your ass yeah, about how you look. About how you look, about your grades. There's no advisors like helping you out anymore. There's there's nothing. And I was just like, when, it, when I first stopped playing, I was like, oh, I have all this new free time. I'm going to go get a job so I can actually have money. To drink. And I guess I'm just going to drink all the time. And I would drink, and then at like two in the morning, I would drunkenly drive to Taco Bell. Yeah. And I'd come home and just stuff my face and pass out. And I did that probably five or six nights a week. And I got so big. But yeah. when I got big, I just, I remember thinking like I could still try to get girls. And it just was not, it was always like, oh, I'm the friend because I grew up with sisters and I can relate to women. But, I just was always like the buddy. Yeah, I definitely was not a ladies man. Like I, I was funny, so I could like kind yeah, of that's... charm my way in. But it was never like I was always tired. It was <laughs> never a thing of and like yeah, I lived with my parents and I would do shows in Jersey. Like you know how hard it would be for me to like meet a girl at a show in the city and then be like, hey, so to fuck this fat body, I'm gonna have to drive you across state lines <laughs> to the Jersey Shore where there's a lot of water I could throw your body into. Like it, it was a and oh and by the way it's my parents' house so be quiet when we get there it was there was no chance like I had to luck out and hopefully like meet a girl at a Pizza Hut in New Jersey which I had done 
Yeah? Yeah. I'll never forget when we stopped seeing each other, she drove out of my driveway and she said, you're an asshole, but I'll tell you this one thing. Don't eat at Pizza Hut. And like it was, yeah, it was like one of the most hurtful things anyone ever said to me. Like, God. give me that warning. Jesus. Um, there was another story that I wanted to get to, and it was about the first time you did Molly. Loved it. Loved it. Mo- not as much as Mushrooms. Mushrooms yeah, we, I changed wanted to, my life. Yeah, I wanted to get into that, too. So the first time you did Molly was in college? College, yeah. We went to a music festival called Bounce Music Festival, which was in Times Square. So East Rutherford isn't far from New York. It was just like a quick train from Jersey to New York. And we had a kid who had a good Molly connection. Like, they would get these pure uh not the Molly gun connection. Powder. Different guy. D- different guy. Not the gun guy. Yeah. That guy was probably off just stabbing at that point. And they would get this pure Molly, put it in a pill, and then they would take the individual pieces of wrapped gum. They would pop them, put the gum out, and then put the pill in there and reseal it. So you just had like a pack of gum. So you would just bring gum into the venue. Oh, okay. And we took Molly. That's and smart. It was probably one of my favorite drug experience. Just like, although we walked into the venue and there was a girl like dying outside. And they were like, she had bad Molly. And like that's always a weird. And you had already way to taken it trip. at that point. Already had taken it. Uh, I'm telling you, Bad Boys too. The exact same thing happens. Yeah, we got in Times Molly. Square. My buddy was like, "The lights are talking to me." I was like, "Shut up, you're being an idiot." And then I looked up and I'm like, "What are they saying?" <laughs> like, I was so into it. Like you just feel like love. Everyone loves it. My buddy's girl cheated on him in front of him. In what? Yeah, like started dancing with another guy, hooking up with him. Probably shouldn't say this. They're getting engaged soon. But uh, <laughs> well, it was right in front of him. He saw it. Yeah, he saw it. But everyone was on Molly. So it was OK, I guess. Yeah, I guess that makes it all right. And Sorry, the- I did that again, man. But no, it's OK. It wasn't me. <laughs> 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 that would have been great. No, yeah, we were all on Molly, man. This is what comes with it. It was just like Molly was a fun drug, and it was a fun time. Like I said, that year of college was the most fun I had ever had. Yeah, me too. My my, The first two years when I played college football and everything was going right, it was the most fun. Yeah, I guess that's why. Everything was going right. The friends were there. The afterlife, the school life was there, and then athletics was there. So like everything was right where right it was on supposed track. to be. Yep, and then it gets taken away, and things start to spiral, and next thing you know, you're in a mental institution. That was before. Oh, yeah, that was That before. was in high school. So, like, that was step one. It's all, like, a, it's all a crazy process. When I, when now, I'm, tw- I'm turning 27 in uh, two months now. So, like, now, weirdly, even though I'm still young, I have that ability to step back and be like, oh, everything happened exactly how it was supposed to. Yeah. Which probably comes back to the mushrooms. Yeah, that's what I wanted to talk about. Mushrooms it, was the first drug where I was like, this is life-changing. I feel like some people take mushrooms and it's, like, a good time. And then some there are some people out there who are meant to... In the words of like Alan Watts, like uh, it awakens them. Yeah. Like there is the mushroom trip where there's I think there are some people who have that in them where they take the mushrooms and you kind of see everything. Not every that sounds narcissistic, but you see the inner workings and like how everything is one and all this crazy shit. Yeah. And you just get sent on a journey. Well, and then tell that story about when you took mushrooms, because I know you talk about it on stage. But if you do, don't. Mind. Yeah. So that's like the doctorate up version. So like me, uh, me and my girlfriend did mushrooms. Uh, we took them in Central Park. It was my first time. I've done it a, a, a few times since I'm coming up on like a big trip again that I'm going to have to do. Uh, we got them by this guy. He paid us for a shitty show in New Jersey with mushrooms. OK. And we took them and. uh you're supposed to be in nature, so now Yeah, we went to Central Park. You know, you got to be in nature. Uh, it started nice. Like, everything, I was like, oh, this is like a nice high. 
Because I, I had told her I wanted to drive us to the park. She was like, no, we're taking an Uber to the park. You can't drive on mushrooms. Yeah. So we get there. It's so peaceful. And I'm like, I could have fucking drove on this, babe. What do you mean? And then maybe within a half hour, I'm lying down on a rock, crying my <laughs> eyes out. Like, literally, I'm lying down on a rock, staring up at the sky, just saying it's beautiful and crying. There's tears of joy. I mean, I... I probably cried for six hours on mushrooms. Jeez. Just shedding so much stuff. Uh, I saw God. <laughs> I mean, I talk about that on stage in a very, like, uh, dumbed-down version. But what I would say is, like, one of my visions of God. Like, uh, I'm a big Ram Dass guy who was this, you know, Timothy Leary and Richard Alpert were the two guys, the Harvard uh, professors all those years ago who basically – started the counterculture of hallucinogenics and psilocybin. Ram Dass then was born out of that. He went from, you know, uh, Richard Alpert to Ram Dass. And uh, so his guru was this guy, Neem Karoli Baba Maharaji in India. Uh, That's who, like, the Beatles would go there to pray to him. Like, all of these people were like the... uh, He was this incredible mystic. Some people would consider him like... uh, Hanuman is a Hindu god. He was like supposed to be a reincarnate of Hanuman. And anyway, this was Ram Dass's guru. I was more into Ram Dass than I was Neem Karoli Baba at that time. And when I took mushrooms, I was in Central Park and he, his presence was there. He walked in front of me. We didn't exchange words. It was just like he walked in front of me. I saw him. The light was there. And I felt this calming presence. Then after that, I've been very drawn to him as a, I've had a lot of situations in my life where he's presented himself again. Now I meditate to a picture of him. Oh, wow. Yeah. So this really, you're not kidding when you say it really changed. No, it changed my life. Became a vegetarian after, uh, stopped eating meat. I I make the joke on stage that it was because I saw a rat eating a chicken wing, which is partially true, but also partially. I just felt like I couldn't really eat any living things anymore after that. Yeah. Uh, Got really into meditation, got into praying again, which was crazy because like, I went to Catholic school, wasn't that religious, but would go to church on my own. I would have my parents take me to church sometimes. So I guess there was that weird inclination for religion. Uh, when I went to Felician, I was a double major of psychology and religious studies. So, really? Like, I loved religion. I was fascinated with all types of religion. And then uh, I did mushrooms, and it was the first time I started, like, having open prayers with God again. My whole time in high school, I'd always pray. I loved talking out loud to God. And then yeah. I started doing it again after the mushrooms. Not the same God, a different God. Different I'm, God. I'm, but... I'm, a, I'm a bhakti yoga practitioner now, which is a Hindu type of sect. Really? Yeah. So you do yoga as well? My own v- variation. Okay. Hey, Genevieve. Hi. Joined by a guest. Hey, what's up? Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Oh, yeah. This all stays in. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, special guest, Colleen Genevieve. <laughs> Catch you next month for a birthday show at the stand. Rent money. Oh, she's got snacks in there. Snacks in there. All right. Well, that was actually perfect timing. Perfect timing. Yeah. We we don't want to get too into the God stuff. Keep them guessing. Keep them guessing. Uh, check Dan out at the stand all the time. Promote all your stuff one more time. Yes. So I am Father Dan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can see me at Dan Lamort on social media, danlamort.com. All that good stuff. Just give it a follow. That's you got any what, dates coming up? January 28, 29th, DC Comedy Loft. That's the one that I could think of off the top of my head. Okay, yeah, check out the website. And if you happen to live in, uh, well, I'm coming somewhere in Canada. Comedy Cave, Calgary. Yeah. March 28th to April something. I'm not allowed in Canada. 
Really? Yeah. Oh, because too big of a criminal record. Too d- too many DUIs. Wow. Yeah. They wouldn't even give you a. They don't even want to give you a driver because they're scared you might get him drunk. Yeah. I. <laughs> well, you see, you see me at the stand. I'm like, come on, baby, let's yeah, go. Yeah. You really do encourage it. Yeah. We um, I have to wait five years from the end of my probation, so I have two years left for my last DUI. Then I have to write a letter to the magistrate and pay a five thousand dollar fine. And you have to sign it in maple syrup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Blood in maple let you syrup. Back in. But if I want to do J4L in Montreal, I have to do all that. So anyway. That's pretty fun. You yeah. can't not allowed. In, I mean, live a life so fun that you're not allowed into some countries. That's the takeaway Fuck of this yeah. episode. There we go. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. Uh, BrennanTComedy.com. Brennan T. Comedy on all social media. And we'll talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye.